scripture reading today um, is an admonition on how we as Christians are to live our lives. It comes from Paul to the early church in Colossae. Let's read and share God's good word together. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body, and be thankful. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, you may know this guy, Chandler Bing. He says, if you absolutely have to tell her the truth... At least wait until the timing's right. And that's what deathbeds are for. (laughs) Well, see, friends, there's a lot of relationship advice out there. Not all of it's good. Some of it's actually pretty bad. Funny, but not good. And so we, every year, for about three, four weeks, around February, around Valentine's Day, we come to relationships because we know we need it. We know we need it. As a matter of fact, we found out uh, in one of the longest, uh, best, most research studies of 724 men since 1938 and more than a thousand of their offspring over time, we have found that good relationships keep us healthier and happier. Say that with me. Good relationships keep us healthier and happier. All kinds of good relationships, work relationships, family relationships, spousal relationships, Uh, relationships in your neighborhood association are there such a thing as good relationships in your neighborhood association um all all of these things Uh, and one of the major researchers robert waldinger says our friendships though friends our relationships they don't just take care of themselves do they they don't it's something you gotta work at you have to be intentional about that if you're going to hold on to these relationships so um over this year we chose to talk about parenting in week one uh, and then marriage and divorce and remarriage in week two. And then today we're going to get to difficult people in just a minute. But uh, if you haven't been with us, I want to allow you to catch up. Or if you have been with us as a, a good reminder, uh, the number one enemy of parenting and really of all relationships is, say it with me, busyness. Busyness. Because the first act of love is attention. Right? You have to show up and, and look and see. And then you can share your love. The number one enemy is busyness. And so when it comes to parenting, uh, first of all, let me say this. If you've got little ones, zero to five, God bless you. I'm praying for you. It's hard. It is hard. Uh, uh, There are difficult things later, of course, a different kind of difficult. Um, But man, it's just exhausting to have littles. It just can be. So just know there is hope. You will have a date again. Uh, They will go to school one day. And uh, you'll have about an hour and a half, it seems, um, to get all your errands run. Um, but it, it, hang in there, hang in there. And so because this is true, if we're not careful, we will simply parent by default, by what we can do, by what's before us when we're not exhausted, which is about 3% of the time, at least in some season it feels like. So what I encourage you to do is to parent for the relationship that you want. Look way down the way to when your kids have the choice of whether they come home or not. What kind of relationship do you want to have with them? So parent for the relationship you want when your children are adults. 
Can you imagine that, you know, Thanksgiving is something you look forward to where there's honor at the table and respect at the table and closeness at the table and love at the table and joy and laughter. The people you love and care about and have a good relationship with because you've nurtured it all along the way. And it's good to remember parents, uh, those of us who are parents, and this is true for children as well. You do not have the same relationship with them that they have with you. You're the parent. You're always the parent. There's never a day that you're not the parent. Now, there may be days you don't feel like parenting, but that's beside the point. You will always be the parent. And so your words, they carry extraordinary weight. Extraordinary weight. Extraordinary weight more than anyone else. When you say, I love you, it means more. When you say, I'm proud of you, it means more. When you say, I'm disappointed, it hurts more. Right? So every word that you speak, and so really for many of us, we just need to speak less. Certainly until we kind of get our wits about us, right? We certainly don't want to speak to our kids in anger. Right? Sometimes we need to raise our voice, but that's about danger, about get out of the street. And you have to do that sometimes, but not, not in anger. Because they need a parent. They need parents. We all do. And so as our kids get older... And we have to make some, some changes. And that is that relationships, ones that last, they thrive on cor- not on correction. They don't thrive on correction. They thrive on what? Connection, right? So that when your child has something that they feel shame or guilt about, they'll actually come to you and you can help them. Because if they don't come to you, you can't help them. Because you won't even know they're hurting. But that is built from the very beginning. And so if all this is just way too much and you don't want to go back or look that up or read lots of books, just, just remember, be a dog. Sit, really. Um, for, the, for the time they're little up into you know, their teenage years, just be a dog. You know, just love them, love them, love them. Can't wait till they get home. Uh, give them love. You know, if there's danger around, woof. You know, big bark. But then, again, love them, love them, love them. But then there's going to be a day when you're 7th, 8th grader, ninth grader, 10th grader, they come home, they're going to be a cat. You'll never even see it coming. They're just going to come home a cat. And you cannot be a dog when your kids are cats. They don't like each other. You've got to change into a coaching role. And so um, that was week one. Week two, we talked, we, uh, Pastor uh, Robert did an amazing job talking about marriage and divorce and remarriage. Um, and, and he gave us a new lens through which to look at this. And, and what I really appreciate about Robert was, one, his openness, but two, that he just honed in on something that's so important. That really, from the time of, of David even, God, and you know this, God looks at our hearts. That's what he looks at. He's looking at our hearts. And so in the conversation around divorce and marriage and remarriage, Jesus continues that theme of what his father wants, and that is a good heart, kindness, love. And so Matthew describes a, a very difficult scene like this. Some Pharisees, religious so-and-sos, came to him, and to test him, they asked, is it What's that word? Lawful, right? They were considered about the law because they wanted to be in control. And if they controlled the law, they could control you. So is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause? There are two different uh, schools of thought about that. He answered, have you not read that the one who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. You hear that at weddings all the time. And it's important. Because it's difficult when you have that tearing. 
And it, it hurts God's heart because it hurts you. And they said to him, though, why then did Moses command us to give a certificate of dismissal and to divorce her? Oh. See, they're not letting him off the hook. He's, he's trying to be kind. He's trying to tell them it's about their heart. But no, they're like, well, well, if that's the case, well, what about Moses, huh? Or you see this back and forth. This is what they're doing to him. And Jesus says, it was because you were so hard-hearted. Just looks at him right now. He's like, look, you know what's going on. I know what's going on. You're just being hard-hearted. That Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. Why? Because it's better for your wife to get away from you. But from the beginning, it was not so. Um, this really, I, I learned a very difficult teaching um, from Dallas Willard on this a number of years ago. I had not thought of, about it before. But he said, you know, there are relationships, particularly abusive ones, where the wife needs to get away and the husband won't allow it. He said, you know, that's a real thing. And so, does Jesus want some people to be divorced? Absolutely, if it means you stay alive. If it means you get out from underneath that. Absolutely. Hear me, friends. There are, there are times that marriages don't last. And Jesus owns that right up front. He says, Jesus recognizes that not all marriages last. They don't. There are some people who are going to hurt each other less apart than they do together. And that's just the reality of life. And Jesus knew that. And Jesus shows us that God is a God of second chances. Amen? And he refuses to be trapped by hard hearts. He's like, no, 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 we're not going there. You're not wrapping me up in the law, you know, because you're being so mean. We're not doing that. And some of you, some of you have been remarried, and it's awesome. And it's great, because we have a God of second chances. Amen? It's wonderful. And so here's, here's the difference. While religious leaders, Pharisees, Sadducees, even religious leaders today, you know, they want to debate what's legal, right? You hear that in the news all the time. Religious folks trying to tell you what is or isn't legal. And Jesus describes what's, say it with me, loving. See the difference? People who want power and control want to talk about what's legal. People who love well describe what's loving. What's your next step? What's the most loving thing you can do? And so today we're going to talk about difficult people. And here's a news flash. Everybody's got difficult people. And even worse, you are that difficult person for someone. We all are. We, we own that. I'm somebody's difficult person. Uh, she sits right here. Um, you know, so it, it happens to all of us. But when we're talking about difficult people, what I want to say is that we're not talking about annoying people. Right? There are people who are annoying. Okay, you just move on. You don't have to be offended. You can choose to be unoffendable. Right? You can just be like, no, just, just let it go. People are going to say stupid stuff. They are. People are going to have bad days. That's not what we're talking about. There are also difficult people, and we do need to figure out how, what to do with them. And then there are dangerous people um, that I have already referenced. But here's the thing. If you are in a relationship or you know someone who's in a relationship where it's dangerous, call 911 and get the people who are trained into domestics to get there and keep you safe. Because you can't work on a relationship if you're dead. Right? So let's just, let's just put this over here. There are dangerous relationships. You have to get out of them. And if you are in one, you know someone is, don't invite them to your house. Call the police. Because all kinds of bad stuff happens when people get mixed up in domestic um, cases. So I'm just set that aside. But you got to know that. Super important. So it's not imperfect behavior. It's not the same as toxic behavior or being difficult. I mean, yeah, everybody's imperfect. Okay. And there's dangerous. We're not dealing with either of those really. What God says, though, in his word, in the wisdom of Proverbs, he says, those with good sense are slow to anger. 
slow to anger. It's to their glory to overlook an offense. Absolutely. It's good for your life, good for your soul. Lowers your blood pressure, keeps you from having ulcers. Just let it go. Move on with your life because we don't have other control. That'll be a theme that you hear around here a lot. You just don't have other control. Few of us have self-control, right? And so if you can't control yourself, what makes you think you can control somebody else? But here's, here's what I find most of the time. When somebody's really upset, they come to me and they're, they're needing some help with something, and they're really, really, really upset with someone, what they're usually telling me, not always, but usually what they're telling me is that they're trying to get something from that person that they don't have to give. Now think about that. There are people that have really, you know, they're really upset that this coworker didn't, you know, care for them in this moment. They're not supposed to. You don't have a work wife. You don't have a work husband. You have work and you have a husband. You have work and you have a wife. You don't have a work wife. And if you do, that's a problem. It's called an emotional affair. Call it what it is. You have to be really careful with that, friends. People just get blown up all the time about this stuff. You can't expect your work to give you what only your family can provide. And you can't expect your family to provide you everything that your work does. And, and, and. You get this? There's all kinds of relationships you have, but, but most of us want all of it from one person. It doesn't exist. There's only one Jesus. You're not him, and neither is your spouse. And neither are your kids. You've you got you to own, yes, this is an appropriate expectation from this person, and this is not. And that's so important because healthy people attract healthy people. And unhealthy people, you know, are unhealthy parts. They attract unhealthy people. And that's, that's how it works. Because we don't attract what we want. We attract who we are. That's the way that works. And so if you want to attract something different in your life, you have to change who you are to receive that. If you want more love in your life, be more loving in your life. If you want people to like you, like other people. By the way, that is the number one indicator of whether people like you. You like them. If someone thinks you like them, they like you. If they think you don't like them, they don't like you. By the way, I like all of you. <laughs> I like you all. Right? And so this next thing, I don't know who said it, but it, it has stuck with me for weeks, and I want to share it with you because it's true. And, and you can work on this for a long time. I'm still working on it. It goes like this. Your perception of me is a reflection of you. And my reaction to you is an awareness of me. Will you say that with me? Your perception of me is a reflection of you, and my reaction to you is an awareness of me. So here's the thing. None of you see me clearly. All of you see me through the lens through which you were grown up. Which, by the way, as a preacher, is a very dangerous thing. Because I can say one thing and get 500 different expectations from that. Because you all have a lens. You can't see me as me. Only God can do that. You can only see me as you know to see me. And my response, my reaction to you is simply an awareness of me that that's what's going on. And so if I don't own that you only have your limited lens to see me, then I can get all offended. I can be all upset. Oh, well, I can't believe they said that. Well, sure you can because everybody's flawed. Everybody makes mistakes, right? And so the more aware we are of ourselves, we can respond better in love. We can re respond better in kindness. And this is so important, friends, because if you don't, you can lose your whole life devising plans on how to, you know, take care of or manage or deal with a difficult person. Hasn't this happened to you? You know, somebody says something, um, you know, at work or, or at a ball game or something, and it just goes all over you. You're like, I can't believe they said that. Can you believe they said that? I mean, it was so rude. And then you spend like the next three days 
devising the most perfect response by email, by text, in person. And at every time you win the argument, you're so smart, people applaud. Yeah, you. You know, it's what we do in our minds. But if you're not careful, you'll just keep running with that, right? But it doesn't change anything. It doesn't change anything. Other than that person has not thought another thing about it. They said a 30-second phrase, and they went on with their life, and you lost your next three days with it. Right? That's ridiculous. Why would you do that to yourself? Now, it's also true that there are people who are controlling. There are people who, you know, do some pretty bad stuff. And, and so let me, let me say this also really clearly. God never wants anyone to be oppressed by another person. Read that with me. God never wants anyone to be oppressed by another person. You see this at the Exodus event, right? His people were slaves. He hears their cry. He pulls them up. And God always sides with the oppressed. Always. Always. And this is great news. If you're struggling, if you're in a hard relationship, God is with you. God is with you. God is with you. Now, the part that's not there that you can ferret out is also, and if you're an oppressor, you better change that. Because God is not about that. The psalmist writes it like this. God executes justice for the oppressed. God gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoner free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. That's who God is. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous, those who do right. The Lord watches over the strangers. God upholds the orphan and the widow. But the way of the wicked? Oh, man, God brings that to ruin. So if if you're a part of stuff that's bad, you better get out of that. It's not going to work out well for you. Because God's way is to stand up to bad things. Amen? No, no, that's a big amen. Like, God's people have to get up. We got a lot of bad stuff going on, and we're like, oh, yeah, that's bad. No, no, you got to get up. You got to stand up against bad stuff. You do. Now, um, there's a book called I Told Me So uh, by Greg Elshoff, um, and, and he has some wisdom to share with us about truth-telling. He says, the wise counselor is gracious, not only in his or her tone, but also in their timing, right? Not all truths are for right now. It's just not. I I was like, really? It's not? Think of it like this. You've got an employee that's off page, and and you've been working on this. Maybe you've had three or four meetings about it, and you know you have to make that call. You have to write that email. You have to do this thing. You have to let them know that they're going to be let go because of whatever or, 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 right? Everybody has these difficult conversations. So finally, you know, it's about to be the weekend. You don't want to blow it up with your family. You want to actually be present. And so you're like, I got to get this call made, you know, before the end of the week. I just got to do it. You make the phone call. You say, hey, Bob, how's it going? I need to talk to you. And Bob says, really, I'm really struggling because my wife was just taking the hospital in an ambulance. Do you tell Bob? No, that's not the loving thing to do. Terrible time. You're not even a good human at that point, right? Of course you don't do that. That truth will wait. It just has to wait. Right? So Dr. Henry Cloud and John Townsend, they work together often. I recommend their work to you. It's really good stuff. And, and Henry Cloud says this, one of the most spiritual things that anyone can do is to combat toxicity by avoiding it. You can do that sometimes. Or by confronting it. Both. Both of those can be wise moves. And so the Bible often warns us to simply avoid toxic people. People we know that we're worse when we're with them. So you have to limit your time with them. Or it can get all over you, and it can mess up, you know, a week or two of your life instead of a few hours of your life. So again, in the wisdom of the Bible in Psalms, it says, Perverseness of heart shall be far from me. Read this with me. I will know nothing of evil. Right? You've got to stay away from it. 
One who secretly slanders a neighbor, I will destroy, God says. A haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not tolerate. I will look with favor on the faithful in the land so that they may live with me. Whoever walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. And then this next part, pay attention. No one who practices deceit shall remain in my house. Say that with me. No one who practices deceit shall remain in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue in my presence. Why? Because you can't do anything with it. Truth sets you free. If you never get to the truth, you got nothing. You can only work on the truth. And so if the truth keeps moving on you, you better get out of the house. And you just can't, you can't do that. And I know those are very, very difficult calls to make. You don't make those lightly. But it's one of those things. Truth matters, friends. Again, Dr. Townsend would say it like this. Your best defense against the harm of toxic people is to have a clear set of values that you live out with all people. Not just some. Everybody. Treat everybody the same. This is our family value. This is what we live uh, as our household. Like the fosters, this is what we do. And so my boys, when they would be upset about something, I would say to them regularly, look, yes, that's not fair. I get that. But it's not about fairness. It's about your character. It's your character. It's our family name. It's your representation of Christ. It's a representation of this church. It's about your character. And you have good character. And someone with good character, well, what would that look like? What would someone with good character do? And they would answer me. I'm like, well, let's do that. Right? But that's an intentionality of parenting. But you live it out with all people, not just some. And so Jesus talks about this and the power of it when he, when he talks about Matthew. Now, you'll remember that in Jesus' day, they were oppressed by Rome. Rome was the superpower of the time. Um, if you look at it on a map, Italy's over here, Israel's over here. They're thousands of miles away by foot, right? They're, they're marching, and they're a long way from home. And, and these are people that the Israelites, the, the Hebrews, the Jews, they hated them. They hated them because they abused them. They, they, they did terrible things to their people whenever they wanted because they had all the power. And they taxed them mercilessly for them to be there. It was terrible. Yet Jesus says, if one of these soldiers whom you hate, if any one of them asks you to go one mile, go also a second mile. Because the law of the land was that a Roman soldier, you know, they're worn out because they're, they're walking everywhere they go. Um, they could ask any Jew to pick up their pack and carry it a mile. Now, I hadn't thought about this, but a few weeks ago I thought about this. Well, what if I'm going this way and the soldier's going that way and I have to carry the mile? Are you kidding me? Now I've got two miles. Right, I got to go that way and then back. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. It's about your character. It's about your character. Right? So think about it. As you walk that mile, you find out that that soldier has a wife. That soldier has four kids at home. He misses them. He's missed their birthdays. He's missed the, you know, maybe the birth of his child while she was pregnant when he was leaving. He's tired. He's sick. Every day he's breaking up fights. His life's on the line every day. He knows people hate him. Zealots are trying to kill him, assassinate him at every turn. And he's just worn slick. And they find out that he's a human just like they are. And when he gets to the end of that mile, he's like, okay, kid, you can go. And you say, I got you. We'll go another mile. Okay. And he's thinking, whoa, 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 whoa. That would be six miles difference for you. That's like your whole day walking. And you go, all right. 
Because, in the words of Beyonce, you won't break my soul. Love thy hater. That's what Beyonce says. You didn't know she's such a good theology person, did you? Right? You won't break my soul. Because it's about your character. It's not about Rome. It's not about the soldier. It's not about the context. It's about your character. You won't break our soul. God is in me. God is good. I can do the right thing, even when it's hard. And so the scripture says, as you let your light shine, something we take very seriously around here, people who are good for you will respect your values. They will. You say, this is my value. They're like, oh, that sounds like a good value. Right? In John, um, the scripture says it like this. This is the judgment, though, that the light has come into the world, Jesus has, and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light. They do not come to light so that their deeds may not be exposed. And so the second point is this. People participating in darkness, they will move away from you. They will move away from the light that you're living out. And if you've ever been in recovery, you know this is true. The people you live this way with, when you get cleaned up, you start living a new way, they disappear. They disappear. And that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. That's a good thing for you. Right? The darkness simply moves away from the light you're living. But as you do this, there'll be people that you care about. There'll be people that you care about that are difficult. But here's the thing. Because you don't have other control, you don't nag them. You don't ignore them. You don't try to control them. You simply refuse to participate in their darkness or their drama. Like, I just don't do that. Somebody comes up, they start gossiping to you. You're like, I don't do that. You can walk away. I don't do that. I don't do that. Right? So my hope is that every person in the room, before we die, and hopefully sooner than that, will become safe people. Safe people. People with good character. Because safe people have the ability to see where they are wrong and to apologize and to change direction. That's what good people look like. That's what safe people look like. To say, oh, oh I see that now. I'm sorry. I didn't know that was going to be so painful for you. I, I get it. I, I misstepped. I'm sorry. And it won't happen again. It won't happen again. You're right. That, that was wrong. It won't happen again. I've changed my direction. That's what safe people do. Those are the kind of people you want to be around. Those are the people you need in your life. Because, because, if a person fails to take ownership for destructive behavior, they will repeat it. They don't know it, they'll repeat it. If they can't own it, they don't know it. And if they don't know it, they can't fix it. Because you can't fix what you don't know. Right? So the thing is, if you're in a relationship where they can never apologize, they can never own their destructive behavior, it's just going to keep going. And all you're hoping so is not going to change that. So it's really important that you understand what safe people look like. I went to, I was invited and blessed and had the privilege of going to a 12-step meeting this week uh, with a friend of mine. I was invited in uh, to get their 60-day chip. I was very proud of them. It was a big day. And um, they read uh, the big book by Bill W. And then there's a secondary book that they read uh, that helps them. Uh, it would really help all of us kind of look at what life really is like. And it's called As Bill Sees It. And so As Bill Sees It in one section, this really struck, struck a chord with me. I wanted to share it with you. He writes this, when alcoholism strikes, very unnatural situations may develop which work against marriage partnership and compatible union. As matters get worse, the husband becomes, or the wife, becomes a sick and irresponsible child who needs to be looked after and extricated from endless scrapes and impasses. And if you've been in that situation, you know what that looks like. They're they're scraped up, you got to find out an excuse because people are coming over or you're going back to work. 
You know, we can't make it. Well, why can't you make it? Well, because they were incapacitated, but you, now you've got to cover for them. Right? That's not a marriage. That's a parent-child relationship. And very gradually, Bill says, usually without any realization of the fact, the wife or the husband is forced to become the mother or father of an erring boy or girl. And the alcoholic alternately loves and hates her maternal care or his paternal care. See that? And there's this argument, there's this conflict, because they're looking for something that you don't have to give. You're not their mother. You're not their father. You're supposed to be their partner. So important we get this, friends, because we cannot control another person's response. God doesn't even do that. God allows you choice to love him or not to love him, to be about him or not be about him. If God doesn't control other people, we certainly don't have the power to control other people. So Paul writes to the early church, he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you've been called, all of us, with all humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of, what's the word? Peace. That's what you're looking for, the person of peace. But speaking truth in love, right, we're back to truth, we must grow up. Really. You've got to grow up. In every way, into Jesus, who is the head, into Christ. Now, Brene Brown, who studies sociology and uh, human behavior, uh, there's a thing that, that I want to do that she tells me I can't do, uh, that many of you as Christians want to do that we can't do, and that is we want to assume the best of everyone. You've heard that. You've even heard that lifted up as a value. It's not exactly right. It's close, but it's not right. She says we can't assume the best about others when they're taking advantage of us or not respecting what's important to us. That's not going to get better. We've got to understand this. If they don't respect you, if they're taking advantage of you, it makes no sense for you to expect that just to turn around on its own. That doesn't happen. right? So, so you can still love them, but you're not being fooled by it. You're not being hurt over and over and over and over again by it because you have unrealistic expectations of them giving you something they don't know how to give you. So Paul writes, putting away all falsehood, let all of us speak what? The truth to our neighbors. For we're members of one another. Be angry. We're going to be angry at times, yes, but don't sin. So anger is not a sin, right? Anger simply lets us know something's wrong. So when we get angry, don't sin. Don't do anything to hurt others. And do not let the sun go down on your anger. Why? Because it's bad for you. Keeps you up all night. Raises your blood pressure. Gives you ulcers. Don't do that. You don't want to lose your life. And Paul says, if we know what this looks like, it looks like this. Don't let any evil come out of your mouth. Not one word. But only what's useful for building up as there's need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear grace. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and malice and anger. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. We forgive to look like Christ. So we can love them without being foolish because love in the Bible, it's not a feeling. It's doing what's best for the person. Love is simply choosing to do the next right thing for the person. Uh, My friend Jean Marie says it like this. She says, if you worship your feelings as gods, you'll find out soon enough that they're nothing more than petty tyrants. Instead, allow them to be fuel for your vision and they will serve rather than enslave you. Feelings, you need them, sure. Can they be good? Yeah, but you cannot let them be your God. It'll wreck your life. So when we come to these difficult people, we have two natural reactions. I have them, you have them. And the first is to repay evil for evil, isn't it? 
you know this, you're on a traveling trip, the kids are in the back, boom, kid hits the other one, the other one goes boom, back. That's just what you do. It's like natural, right? Fight or flight. So that's the thing. Repay evil for evil. Don't do that. It doesn't work. The second is to do nothing, which will allow them to continue to wreak havoc in your life. That also doesn't work, right? These are, these, this is fight, and that's fight. But they don't work. So Jesus gives us a third option. He does. He gives us a third option. And, and I want you to read it with me because this is something that will save your life, give your life back to you. Jesus says this, But I say to you that listen, read it with me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. That's it. That's the third way. I love the way Andy Stanley can take a huge topic and just boil it down to a phrase. He says, friends, just because someone considers you their enemy doesn't mean you have to return the favor. Right? You're not required to return the favor. You're not. It's because it's about your character. See, Jesus doesn't want you to do something to them. He wants you to do something for them. Because he's done something for you and for me and for the world. He says, love your enemies. Do good and lend to them even. Expect nothing in return. Your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High. For God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. And of course, the thought is, if God's God is kind to the ungrateful and wicked, so should we. Because we're God's children. And this is why it's so important. Because it's for your own good. Because doing good to those who don't do good to you, what frees us? It's what frees you. Because it's about your character. Otherwise, people blow up your life all the time. So this very well may be my very favorite poem by Mother Teresa. And I'm going to read the parts in white. I hope you'll read the parts in gold with me. People are often unreasonable, illogical, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish, ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are successful, you will win some false friends and some true enemies. Succeed anyway. And if you are honest and frank, people may cheat you. Be honest and frank anyway. And what you spend years building, someone could destroy overnight. Build anyway, friends. And if you find serenity and happiness, they may be jealous. Be happy anyway. And the good you do today, people will often forget tomorrow. Do good anyway. Give the world the best you have, and it may never be enough. Give the world the best you've got anyway. You see, in the final analysis... It's between you and your God. It was never between you and them anyway. Amen? Amen. So the third option is where the power is to transform the world, to bring heaven to earth. And you may say, well, I have no idea where to start with that. There's two things. Here's your action steps. Pray. Pray to God to help you to know the next step. God is faithful. God will show you. And just pray. What would it look like to love the person in front of me for the next 10 minutes? And when that difficult person comes in front of you, and they will, what's your plan? How are you going to bless and not curse? How are you going to keep your wits about you? How are you not going to, you know, just be flooded and freak out? So in order to do that, think through how you're going to do good to those who mistreat you. Because those people exist. But it's about our response. And then go blow their mind. And be so able do this. So when somebody at your work or maybe in your family system, they just say terrible things. I actually know someone who's done this. They went and they made cookies. Warm, wonderful smelling cookies. And they brought those cookies over to the person who had been so ugly. I'm blown. Right? 
someone says some terrible things about you. They say, you know, Mark, you know, you preach too long. And I go, yeah, I do. Sometimes I do. I just, it gets taken away from me. Mind blown, right? Because there's truth in some criticism, right? So wherever it is, I invite you to be a person of blessing. Even when people curse you, bless anyway. We share the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.